So at this time, if you have a student who's between the ages 7 and 12, this, they usually go back and they have Sunday school about now. So feel free to join them if you'd like. Good morning. So as we work through this countdown to Christmas and we get closer and closer to, well, Christmas, we've been looking at the life of Christ. We've kind of been, we flipped it on its, on its, on its side and we're looking at it. We're going, we started it at Christ's resurrection and we're making our way back. We started at his resurrection. Today we are looking at his death. Next week, we get to look at his life, and then Christmas, we get to look at his birth. And the reason we're doing this is because it helps give us a little bit of context. So when we get to celebrate Christmas, when we get to look at this, this, this time, this amazingly wonderful, magical, enchanting time, we have a little bit of a frame of reference. We get to see the big picture and we get to see how Christ's birth was the start of so much. And although it is 16 days till Christmas, uh, I was the one tasked with talking about death. So it's not the thing that all of us want to talk about or think about when when it comes to Christmas. But I truly believe that when we look at death and Christ's death, Jesus' death on the cross, we get to see just how beautiful his birth is. One of the first things that came to my mind was a philosophical quote. And if you've, if you've ever studied philosophy or you've had an ethics class in college or If you ever watched the Marvel movie, Doctor Strange, you've probably heard this phrase. Death gives life meaning. Death gives life meaning. And this phrase is everywhere. We can find it it in music, in TV shows, in movies. And really, wherever, wherever humans wrestle with the idea of death, wherever we, we wrestle whether it's personally or in art, we try to find hope. We try to find understanding. Because truth be told, we are all going to face death in some way or another. Whether it's a loved one, or whether we're supporting somebody who's currently going through it. And goodness knows, one day we all will face it. And with that heavy, ever-present weight We strive to make death palatable, digestible. We romanticize it. And we personify it. We take this scary, faceless thing, and we throw a skull on it, and we throw a cloak on it, and call it the Grim Reaper. And somehow, as as scary as it is to have a boogeyman of death, It's somehow a little bit better thinking that maybe there's some rhyme or reason than for death to be this thing that's indiscriminate and senseless. And we face death at every age. We have to look at what death looks like, understand how it affects us, 
whether we're grandparents or we're adults or whether we're kids. And so for me, as a dad, I have, with a dad of a four-year-old daughter who's starting to get to the point where she can understand these weighty concepts, I'm the one tasked with having to explain what death is to her. And really, I'd much rather explain what Christmas means. I'd much rather talk about anything else. But truth be told, I have to. And I don't know exactly how to do it well. I don't know how to do it perfectly, but I know that there's something I don't want to do when I talk to my daughter about death or when I talk to anything, anybody about death is that I don't, want, I don't want anyone to take death or even my daughter to take death and put it on the shelf with the Easter bunny and with Santa Claus as the Grim Reaper. I don't want, I don't want her to, I don't want to wrap up death in a cute little bow and, and hand it over, and I don't. And I don't want to give death too much credit more than it's worth. And I think those are a good foundation for us to start with. And I think most importantly, we need to understand death the way scripture defines it to us. The way that it really affects us. And to start in death, we have to, to start about talking about death, we have to start at the very beginning in Genesis 2, verses 16 through 17. And this is, one of the, this is about the first time that death is talked about. And it's God talking to the first man, talking to Adam. And he says, And the Lord commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Paul recaps this in Romans 5, 12 through 13. He says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way came to all people because all sinned, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as did Adam, who is the pattern of the one to come. And whenever we talk about sin and death, a question usually comes up. And it usually comes along a joke about, you know, hey, I'm gonna, whenever I get to heaven, I'm going to give Adam a piece of my mind for messing up this for the rest of us. But the question, it, it, it's a valid question. It's why do we all have to suffer because of what Adam did. Why do we all have to suffer because of what Adam did? He was the one that sinned. Why do we have to bear the weight of that sin? Why do we have to bear the weight of that death? And I think Paul kind of explains it to us. He tells us we were given something when Adam ate of that fruit. We were given the ability to distinguish between right and between wrong. And given the ability to distinguish between right and between wrong, we then were held accountable for doing what was right and not doing what was wrong. Really a burden that we couldn't bear. And although we're frustrated for Adam for getting this ball rolling, although we're frustrated for Adam with getting this ball started, we haven't been able to stop it. Because truly in every single one of us, 
is an aspect of brokenness. That even if, even though we know that on our shoulders rests the ability to be good, it still is so hard to be good. It is so hard to listen to God. And so with that, we have to know that the first thing about death, and that's that death is born from sin. Fun topic, right, today? Well, another thing we have to understand about death is that it means separation. And I think that we all know this just on a basic and very, very deep level is that it means separation from the people we love. And I think that we all understand that. That death means separation. But unfortunately, it doesn't stop there because in Romans 3.23, it tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And in Romans 8, he says, the mind governed by flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. And so Paul tells us, he says, this thing called sin and this thing called death, not only does it separate us from the ones that we love, but it also, it has put a gap between us and God. So that even, so when we die, it's not just being separated from one another, but when we die, it's also being separated from God. And another thing that we have to understand about death is that it's a payment. It's a payment for sin. It is the ultimate payment. It's a payment we can make once. Because it tells us in Romans 6, 26, for the wages of sin is death. But there's a contrast there. And it says, but the free gift of God is eternal life with Christ Jesus. Because there's a point where I'm going to stop talking about death. And there's a point where we're going to switch and we're going to look at the guess what? Even though death isn't our friend, even though death comes at, at inconvenient and indiscriminate times, and though it cuts and though it hurts, we know that death is not our friend. And as much as we like to romanticize it, we know that death isn't beautiful. It isn't something that, that, we, that we want to embrace. We like to think that the death will come at a point where we're old and we're tired and we're ready to go. But we live in the now. And future, you, future us never, never keeps the appointment with death. It's us. But there's a point where we get to step back. And we will look at the death of Christ. When we look at what Jesus came to do, we look at, we, we, don't, get to, we don't have to focus on the inevitability of death. Because there's a point where death loses to Christ. And that's about the sermon that I'm most excited about. And we'll get to there in just about a second. but there's this draw in us because when we look at this world and we look at how broken it is, when we look at this world and we, and we see the terrorism and the death and the pain that exists in our schools and in, in our churches and in, and in our hospitals and in our families, we see just how broken this world is. And when we see death at every corner, if we know that death is a natural thing that affects us all, but deep inside there's a part of us that gets frustrated a part of us that, that feels like death is unnatural, that, that, that somehow we weren't created to die, but we still do anyway. And that truthfully, I think that's very true. We were not created to die. 
In Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says that God has also set eternity in the heart, in the human heart. And so we have something internal in us, eternal in us, that that strives and that drives and that, that claws at something that is eternal, and that is Christ. And with this foundation, although unfortunately as gloomy and as frustrating as it may be, the contrast that Christ gives to death is the most beautiful, the most powerful thing that we can, we can ever imagine. Because when we look at Adam and we see that knucklehead and the fact that he brought death into the world, when we get to look at Jesus, we get to see, we get to see that a plan he had all along was to take what Adam did and flip it on its head. And we're going to read there today, and that is in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. If you guys want to go ahead and flip there, please do it with me. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. I shall give you a moment. And it reads, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sinned, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam. And so is the pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ? And so Paul, Paul takes the first man, Adam, And he takes Jesus and he calls him the second Adam or the last Adam. And he says, this is the contrast. Through the first man, there was death and there was suffering and there was pain and there was hopelessness and frustration and anger and loss was brought into this world. But through Christ, we get a victory. Through Christ, we get something different. Through Christ, we get hope. Through Christ, we get, we get love. Through Christ, we get salvation and redemption and eternity. For everything that, that Adam set for us up to fail, Christ sets us up to succeed as his children. And we get to look at some amazing things about what Jesus did for us. In 1 John 2, 2, it says he is the propitiation for our sin and not for ours only, but for the sins of the world. And that's, that word propitiation is, it's a big one and it's a mouthful, but it means that, that the payment that we had to pay, he took it on our behalf. 
And we know the gospel story. Jesus came to this world and he told the truth. He told us that he was the son of God. He told us that through him, we would be able to know God the Father and that he was the only way. And when he came and that truth that infuriated the people and they brought him before Herod and they brought him before Pilate and they didn't want to crucify him, but the people demanded it. And so while Jesus was up on, while Jesus was up on the, the stage, they yelled, crucify him, crucify him and give us Barabbas, give us a criminal and take Jesus and kill him. And the leaders buckled under the weight of the people and they took Jesus and they gave his cross to another man and they walked him to the place called the skull. And there, between two other criminals, they crucified Jesus. They mocked him, they spit on him, they gambled for his clothes. And this wasn't a fluke. The fact that Jesus died, it wasn't a hitch in God's plan. The fact that Jesus died was a mistake because at that point in Jesus' life, the time for death had come. And when Jesus was up on the cross and when he uttered his last words and he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, and he died, it was one step. It was one step in this master plan that from the beginning of time, from the moment that Adam first sinned, God had been working on a plan to bring us back to him. And everything would come in his time. Every step along the way was intentional because God could see thousands of years in the future when he knew he was going to give his one and his only son to us. He was gonna give his son to us and he knew that we would hate him. He knew that we would kill him. And it tells us in Romans 5, 8, it says, but God showed his love to us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The time for Jesus' death had come. And on that cross, he died. And they took him away. And they buried him. The Messiah that we had been waiting for, we killed we killed because he bore our sin to death. He took the price that we couldn't pay and he paid it so thoroughly and fully that we can't even fathom. That not only was your sin a tiny pebble that was cast into the sea, swallowed up in this ocean of grace and mercy so completely and fully that you'd never have to ever sacrifice anything again. And the beauty of it is that we get to see that Jesus was planned to come all along. David, David this morning, he read from a, Isaiah 53. And he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hid their faces. He was despised and he was held 
And we held him in low esteem, and surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. And that healing that was talked about in Isaiah, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus would ever come, that healing was a complete and total healing of our soul, of the brokenness that separated us from God. And although the time for death had come, although Jesus had died, we realized that death was just a step. It was just an obstacle. And Christ, Christ's life wasn't defined by death. But we learned that death was redefined by Christ's death and his resurrection and his life. And so how do we wrap it up? How do we take all of this and we put it in the context of Advent? Can we answer the question, does, does death really give life meaning? Well, I don't think so. I think life gives life meaning. I think God has given us a gift that we get to live every single day, and we get a hope that Christ, one day we can be with Christ. And so in death, we don't find death and hope in death itself. We don't find we don't find joy in death itself. All of the things that we get to do when we, when we experience death, all of the good things that surround it come from the love of one another, the love God has given us to give one another, to support one another, to care for one another. The hope that we have in Christ means that death doesn't have the bite that it used to. Sin doesn't mean, because, because Christ came and he died for our sin, death doesn't have teeth anymore. And I love how Paul put it. I got to find where Paul's quote is. Paul said in Philippians 1 2, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because he knew without a shadow of a doubt that death wasn't the end for him, that the death wasn't the end for any of us, but death was one step to eternity with God. And that the time we have on this earth means that we get to bless people with that truth. We get to go out into this community. We get to go out to our neighbors and we get to tell them, hey, you know that thing that's coming up, Christmas, where we get to celebrate baby Jesus and we get to, to eat Christmas cookies, maybe even make tamales, have a ham, open gifts under the tree. All of that was inspired by the birth of the God I serve. A birth that led to a beautiful life filled with miracles and teachings, a birth that led to a painful death, which was necessary to show us that Jesus would rise so that we would know that we serve a king who has put his foot on the head of death and has given us hope in an eternity. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Jesus, we are thankful for your death.
And Lord God, we are thankful for your resurrection and your life and your birth. And we know that without a shadow of a doubt, in you we have hope, in you we have victory, and in you we have a chance to spread that, to bring some joy and love more meaningful than the rest of the world can offer. That we get to love our community, that we get to love our schools, we get to love our kids the way that you love us. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.